0: The reading is taken from Genesis chapter 26, verses 12 to 18. Isaac planted crops in that year, and the same year reaped a hundredfold, because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So, all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So, Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that he had dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the names of his father had given them. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Nice to see you. Well done, Sam. Nice to have a reply. Let's pray that, let's pray that God would speak to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you that you revealed truth to us and your heart to us. And we pray that you'd have easy access into our lives today. Send your Holy Spirit to help me as I speak and all of us. In Jesus' name, Amen. This morning, I'm going to be preaching on just one verse, which is pretty unusual, and it's an unusual verse. And the title I've given to this talk is The Well we have to unblock, the well we have to unblock. And I I need to acknowledge just straight off the bat that some of these thoughts have come from a series of sermons that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached um, quite a long time ago. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a great preacher in Westminster, Central Hall, and he he was renowned. It was said by those who uh, were slightly talking ironically that he would preach for three months on a comma in Romans. Uh, And on on this one verse, he he preached for six weeks. And in in, um, the paperback book I've got, it takes 90 pages to read those six weeks of sermons. But don't worry, I promise you, uh, this is a very edited, scaled-down edition. Actually, I've only really nicked one main point. The verse in question is Genesis 26, 18 helpfully on the screen, but I'm going to read it anyway. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. And I'm going to talk about this verse in relation to the tasks that I believe God is giving and has given to us here at St. Michael's. The very first point to make about this verse and the point to get and buy into is that wells and water were absolutely essential to life. Without water, these people, Isaac's family and flock, would have died. It's such a basic point, but it's one that we overlook habitually. Of course we do. I mean, I I don't think it's much unusual uh, about my Sunday morning today. Um, It began as always, you'll be glad to know that I washed. And I had a shower and um, then I had breakfast and I filled the kettle and you know, I took it as read that there'd be water available for all those things. And I'm sure you did too, about most of you, I'm pretty sure you washed. But try living a day without water and it will get much more difficult. Even the rest of the day. Every time you turn the tap on, just imagine what life would be like without it. Well, time and again in scripture, a parallel is drawn between the need for water and the need for food and the need to connect with God. And it's seen as absolutely vital for life to the full. I think the clearest, most obvious verse that does this, links the two, water and the life with God, is in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 12, verse three, where we read, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And simply put, the main task that God has laid upon each of us individually, and more importantly, really, upon us as a church, is to lead people to the well to enable people to come close enough to God to drink the life, the salvation, the water that he offers. And I'm I'm sure that if you're at all familiar with the New Testament, you're already thinking ahead of me about the conversation that Jesus has with the woman in Samaria, the woman at the well. And it's not wrong to let our minds go there. And we'll come back to the conversation that he has with the woman there. But I want us to note number one, connecting with the water is essential. It's not a luxury extra. It's absolutely essential. But number two, it's no easy task to unblock these wells because deliberately the Philistines have blocked them up and hidden them. It is it's no easy task connecting people with the life they can have in Jesus Christ because deliberately There is a battle going on and where you go to find salvation or to find life to the full is camouflaged. There's a spiritual battle raging over this and it only intensifies the more clear we get with the tasks that God has laid upon us individually and as a church. And sometimes the tactics um, that are used to keep the world's hidden are very obvious, and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're very subtle. They don't have to be obvious to, or, or subtle to work, though. In Scripture, the prophet Amos saw a day would be coming where there would be a famine. But he says it's not going to be a famine uh, of food. Well, let me read you Amos chapter 8. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll send a famine throughout the land, not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. And I would say that the prevalent mood in our country right now is more desperate than it's been for years and years and years. And, and that's just the ramifications of all the things you know so well, COVID lockdowns, all of that, economic hardship coming hard and fast upon many, many, many people, the war in Ukraine. You don't have to work hard at being depressed. It's sort of all out there. But where do you go for help? And it's not immediately obvious to most people that you would ever think of connecting worshipping a Christian God with help. The well has been disguised. The well has been blocked up. It's going to be hard work to get that connection back in people's minds. And people are distracted by such mundane things. You can be overwhelmed just with the struggle of a day. And that keeps you from the well. Well. You can be distracted by diversions, which are completely different. The pleasures of life, long holidays abroad, that'll fix it for quite a few people, but it won't. It's the well with Jesus standing beside it saying, come to me, come to me, that needs to attract your attention. There's a very vivid picture painted by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55, Come, all of you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money on what isn't bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what's good. And your delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me, come to me, listen that you might live. You're beginning to see how this picture runs through the scriptures. And Jesus has this amazing invitation, such a a broad and generous invitation that people should ask him for life. You'll remember that in the conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, he says something very precious to her. He says, if you knew the gift of God... And if you knew who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And I I often think of that little part of the conversation as I'm talking to people. I I, I often think, if only you knew who Jesus was. And so many don't. It's only a week since Easter Day, But the majority of people don't have a clue what Easter Day is, let alone Good Friday. And why should they? You're not born knowing. But it's our job, it's our job as Jesus' ambassadors to lead them to the world, to let them know who Jesus is. And you really are not born knowing. I, I, I rather like the story of a primary school teacher who was leading an art class, and she was just going around looking over the children's shoulders. And she came across this sort of artwork mess on a child's sheet of paper and said, that, that's very good, insert name here, you know, Sam, Samantha, what is it? And the child said, oh, it's a picture of God. And the teacher, didn't want to be too offhand, said, well, that's very interesting because no one actually knows what God looks like. To which the child said, well, they will when I finish my drawing. And, and the point is, actually, none of us really does know what God looks like until you pick up the Scriptures, Till you pick up, this is a copy of John's Gospel here. You can see it's terribly short. But it communicates to us what Jesus is like. You're not born knowing. And one of the things that you see here is that Isaac unblocked the wells dug by his father Abraham. He didn't do anything new. He went back to what was tried and tested and worked. We as God's family at St. Michael's are not being called to do anything new or novel or invent a new message. We'd be idiots if we did. The good news has been written for us. All we've got to do is communicate it and see how God draws people to himself. The picture that most people have of God, if they have any picture, is going to be wrong. It's either going to be that God is a cruel, punishing God who's out to trip us up, or it might be that he's a cuddly, indulgent figure who turns a blind eye. Whatever it is, it's wrong. How do I know that? Because in Isaiah, God reveals to us, your thoughts are not my thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. You can't think your way into God's presence. You can't guess your way into God's presence. It has to be revealed to you. And it's revealed through the words of scripture. And, and part of our job in unblocking the world is to make this message and Jesus as accessible as we possibly can to anyone and everyone. It's, it's a popular misconception that I want to just make sure we don't buy into. That you can't predict who God will draw to himself, which is very encouraging. I promise you, if you have met me before I was the age of 20, you would bet your house on Rupert never becoming a Christian. But it happened. Last week was Easter Day, and there were a number of people who were evidently in church um, for the first time in a long time. They looked extraordinarily uncomfortable and they were normally dragged along either by a husband or a wife, sometimes by a parent. But there were lots of giveaways that this wasn't their first form of sport. And the interesting thing was that some of the people who brought their relatives with them into this building, they had the air of, God's never gonna touch him. He's far too hard-hearted. Or similarly, (laughs) the other way around. I don't want to be getting at the men or the women. There There was a sort of look a resignation on many people's faces. Well, look, let me break it to you. It's happy news. You shouldn't decide for God who is beyond his reach because no one is. You can never know how people will react when they meet Jesus Christ. I often think the best reason for not becoming a Christian is that you've never met Jesus. And that is the main reason why people don't become Christians. They don't know who it is they're walking away from, what it is that they're rejecting. But our task is to make it easy for people to meet Jesus. In this picture as well of unlocking, unblocking the well, it, I don't think it's just the wells of salvation that is being talked about. I think it's also unblocking the wells of the Holy Spirit. And the reason I think that is, again, because of what Jesus says to the woman at the well. He says, whoever drinks this water will get thirsty again. But the water I give them, whoever drinks that will never thirst. In fact, he says, the water I give them will become a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. And the woman says, give me this so I won't keep getting thirsty and coming back here. And what I see here and what I know you know about is how the Holy Spirit can change your life and my life, and one of the exciting things about the commission God has laid on each of us, and I know that we've experienced this, is when you follow Jesus, your life changes, doesn't it? There are plenty of people that are in your address book and who talk to you in the course of a day who wish to goodness God could change their life. They're longing to experience a different kind of a life, And that is what Jesus came to give us. Life with a purpose and life with a completely different way of doing life. That's what God's asked of us. I'm sure you can think of lots of examples. I can. I thought the first two that came to my mind as I was writing this sermon were a lady called Beryl. I first met Beryl when I took over a church in Salisbury quite some years ago. And she was in her mid-50s. And she was very talkative. And uh, she came to see me and she said, I'd like to tell you my story. Well, I said, great, I love hearing God's stories. And she said, well, one day I was completely devastated. She said, uh, I went to the doctor, i had had a number of tests, uh, and the doctor told me that I had incurable cancer. And I absolutely didn't know what to do. My, my life fell apart just in that moment. And she said, I don't know why I did it, but I... I'd seen this church and the doors were open and I went in and I sat down there and I was weeping. And she said, it it just happened that the then vicar, it wasn't me, the then vicar came in and um, saw me. We had a chat. He, He invited me back to his house for a cup of tea and I told him what was going on in my life and he told me about Jesus and I gave my life to Jesus at that moment. And she said, if you could have met me, my life was a complete mess. My husband had walked out on me. I had two young children. And someone had said to me years before, Beryl, you'll never make anything of your life. And she said, "Um, when I became a Christian, instantly I thought of that. And I said to myself, that's not true. This is going to change. And she described to me how over the next any number of years, her life was incredibly hard. That she was determined that her children should um, do more than survive. So she worked in the day as a cleaner. And at night, she worked making fireworks on her kitchen table. Which, I mean, what health and safety would say about that today? I have no idea. But nevertheless, that is what she told me that she did. And God's hand was upon Beryl. She was a remarkable woman. And um, in the course of time, she became a local politician on many local councils, and then she became the mayor of Salisbury. And um, she began her acceptance speech when she became mayor, something like this. She said, I- I'm the 400th mayor of Salisbury. I'm the fifth lady mayor of Salisbury. But I'm the first mayor of Salisbury who began life as a fish packer in Grimsby. And of that, she was totally true. She was. And she was absolutely out there for Jesus Christ. Her life was totally changed. That's what God does. Or I think of Bob who had been in the parachute regiment and he'd become a a Christian and now he's retired and pouring his energy and his life into many different kinds of welfare projects. A a complete softy now, full of the love of the Lord. But there are people of all ages and stages who have connected with God, come to the well of life and have been changed. And that's good news. And this church this morning is absolutely full of many examples. Now, one of the reasons I'm preaching this sermon to you now and to the nine o'clock congregation is to say, you know, tonight we start a new evening service. And it's a venture which at the beginning will run fortnightly. And it's a new partnership with Soul Survivor and God willing, it's gonna take off. Of course I hope that, you don't plant a service hoping it will fail, do you? Um, But I want you to know that there's nothing different about what we're doing in the evening service in terms of we're all trying to unblock the same well. We're all hoping that people will come to life at nine o'clock, at 11 o'clock, and at six o'clock. We're not prioritizing one over the other two. God has put a mandate on this church to be a place where people will come and find him and find life. And that's important for every age and every stage. And I I, am thrilled, and I hope that you're thrilled. You know, this morning... Joe, who was up here uh, with face paint on, and the children who are up here, they were already an expression of one of our dreams coming true, that we'd see more people involved in the children's work, that we'd see more children coming to worship God here, and that children would get to know God better. Because you can't be too young, and you can't be too old to be led to the well. And we're all invested in the children's work. And one of the ways to enjoy church, family, is to celebrate other people's wins. Have you discovered that? So, you know, let's celebrate the fact that today a new children's group started. I'm a bit old now to go to children's church, but I am thrilled, thrilled that that's happened. Let's celebrate for what God's going to be doing at six o'clock. We need to see this well unblocked. And I want to say something to those of you who've been coming here for a long time, long before I got here, and those who've been walking with God for a long time. It's time to reconnect with what you already know. It's time to stir up the best times you've ever walked with God and to ask him to repeat them. Someone said to me in the course of the last week, they thought that Maybe somehow we got a bit stale here at St. Michael's, a bit flat, and I just wouldn't know. I haven't been here long enough to know. It's not for me to judge. But if we have got a bit stuck, which was their word, if we got a bit stuck, what we need to pray for is that God will float our boats. It is time for the river to go up. It's time for us to get unstuck. Seriously, it is. And. Don't hear me in any way giving you a message of condemnation or a kick up the pants, because I'm not. What I'm saying is lockdown came upon us. Probably the most unhelpful thing that could happen to a family of God is to be locked out, and we were locked out for months and months and months. And we've all gone a bit embedded. Well, it's time to wake up, because people need to be led to the well. And, And this is something that we need to buy into together. Because this is, how, this is how you see progress. So one of the things to do is to stop and think, well, Lord, is there anything that is going on in my life which is impeding, impeding your work? Because that's like a blocked well. And I can't do that groundwork for you, but you can do it easily enough. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit answers that kind of prayer. Lord, what needs to change for me to become a more effective ambassador for you? God will tell you. Lord, what's standing in the way of me receiving your love today and knowing you today? Well, Lord, how is it that when I think of the times where I've been closest to you, they're now years ago, what's happened? And I'm telling you, Lord, I want to be back on speaking terms with you face to face. I want my prayer times to be an adventure, not the last thing I do before I wake up in the morning. You know, it... God will answer these prayers because he's longing to build his kingdom. His promises are as good now as they've ever been. And he doesn't want your story and my story to be in the dim and distant past. He, he wants our story, St. Michael's story, to be exciting for today, this afternoon, this evening, and tomorrow, and on and on and on. And on. So individually, we need, we need to let him review us. But together, we need to get our act together, No question. We need to get our act together, pull in the same direction. That's why, as I said, I'm talking about the evening service, but the way to enjoy the evening service, even if you're not coming to it, is to pray for it, to celebrate it. To be one in spirit and in purpose and implore God, implore God, open the well. Surely we can pray that. Surely we can pursue him for that. You know, a story is told about Thomas Aquinas that apparently once he visited Pope Innocent II while the Pope was counting out a large sum of money. And apparently he looked up and he said sardonically to Thomas, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say silver and gold have I none. To which Thomas replied, true, holy father, and neither can she say rise up and walk. A more modern anecdote, which I like, which rather puts that in perspective, is a moving and true story about Pope John Paul I. And I don't know if you remember him, but he, he was only pope for 33 days. He died in office, one of the shortest um, tenures in history. But it's reliably said of him that every single day of his short innings as pope, he, he walked through the Vatican long before it opened, to tourists, just privately walked through and prayed and prayed and prayed, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. How moving is that? That's, that's what the Lord wants from his servants. And, and lastly, just to remind us, unblocking wells is a messy, tiring, unglamorous business, which is why you need to know it's worth it, and I hope I've hinted at why it's worth it. The seriously annoying thing is, as far as I can work out, wells don't unblock themselves. It just doesn't happen automatically. The very opposite happens automatically. They, They get clogged up. As I said, some of the things that block up wells are obvious, some of them are not, they're more subtle. But the one thing that's clear, they don't unblock themselves. So if we're gonna unblock the well for other people to benefit, we're gonna have to be intentional, deliberate, and pretty determined. Which is probably why most people don't bother. It's gonna take your money, my money, your time, my time, and a huge amount of commitment and a great deal of encouragement. We're gonna to have to encourage each other a lot because it's such hard work. And you shouldn't kid yourself, and I'm not kidding myself, prayer alone will not do it. You know, people say, oh, I'll pray for it. Well, of course you'll pray for it. You've got to pray for it. Without prayer, we'd be seriously sunk. But just sitting there praying will not hurt. It's gonna take hands on deck, to mix metaphors. It, 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 Any church that throws itself into this task of building God's kingdom is gonna mean sacrifice and it's gonna mean a lot of grit, but we'll discover along the way that it is a life really well invested. The moment we start to see God changing lives, the moment we start to see hope instead of despair, the moment we start to hear more stories of people telling us that they've encountered God, we'll know. We'll know how worth it it is. And just as you can't predict who it is that God will call into his kingdom and touch, so you and I cannot predict who it is that will be the master builders in his kingdom. It's not obvious. And don't write yourself out of the script I read an obituary of someone quite a few years ago now, and part of her obituary was this. She met an archbishop who said, I knew this woman as a novice. She couldn't light a candle in the chapel properly, and you expect her to start a congregation? That's pretty damning. Well, elsewhere in the same obituary, this is what it said about the person who had died. The tiny nun in the cotton habit, who founded in the slums of Calcutta an order that grew into an international movement for the care of the sick, the dying, the outcast, proved that faith could indeed move mountains. Millions revered and venerated her as a saint. At a time when most religious orders were shrinking, Mother Teresa's missionaries of charity expanded, and today that's when she died. They operate in more than 450 centres in over a hundred countries. They feed 500,000 families a year. Her schools teach people. Her schools teach 20,000 slum children. Her clinics treat 90,000 lepers. More than 27,000 people who might have died on the streets of Calcutta have met a dignified end in her hospices for the dying. So, what does lighting candles matter? She led people to the well. Let's pray, Father God. Thank you that you commission us to share the love, the hope, the joy that you've given us, and we just commit ourselves to you again, Lord. Say thank you, thank you that you have compassion upon us that you've extended an invitation to each of us to come to you and to drink and to be satisfied. And we say yes to you, Lord. And we pray that you would rewrite our future just like you did the woman at the well, that whatever she'd done that messed up her life was much less important to her after she met you than the fact that she had met you and she had to share with her friends. And we pray that for us, that we'd be bolder and be led by you, Holy Spirit, to welcome people into your company. We pray you'd ignite us as your family here in this task you set before us. And we'd be the first to drink of the living water and to share it with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.